think. Act and prosper. You are now tuned into the Money Level Show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Money Level Show. Today, I got a special guest for you guys. Uh, this this is an important interview right here because. I've been watching this man for a while talk about uh, gold and silver, talk about uh, uranium stocks and, and many other investments that are very cheap right now where, where we can really just be able to dive in and be able to build wealth for ourselves in, in the upcoming bull markets and the commodities and things like that. So uh, without further ado, I want to introduce to you all Mr. Rick Rule himself. How you doing, man? I'm fine, sir. And thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to uh, address uh, your online community. I enjoy the opportunity. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, a lot of, I started this thing and it's it just kind of been, you know, now it's, it's kind of picking up steam a little more. So I'm like, okay, now I just got to make sure I keep the content coming, you know, mm -hmm. I think everything's around content. <laughs> Delivering value. That's what it's about in any line of, in any line of work. Definitely, definitely. So uh, Rick, I, I know you have a lot of experience in, in this arena of investing, and then you're also the CEO of uh, Sprott uh, US Holdings. Um, could you tell us a little bit about your background and kind of just how you how you came to this this point? I like to say one mistake after another. Uh, mm -hmm. When I was a young man growing up in California, I liked to be outdoors. Uh, I, I liked agricultural businesses and other businesses. I like to hike. As a consequence of that, I went into natural resources and was stuck in an office, not going outdoors for probably the rest of my life. I, mm, wow. I emigrated to Canada in 1970 as an 18-year-old, uh, both because the University of British Columbia uh, was a fine school, both for business and for natural resources, and also because a young American in 1970 was going to have to travel at least a young male American. Uh, and I thought, would I enjoy Vancouver or Saigon more? Uh, and so I chose Vancouver. <laughs> uh, so Vancouver, so, yeah. Canada, Vancouver. No, Washington. Vancouver, Can Vancouver, Canada. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, so that seemed like, a, seemed like a wise alternative to the Vietnam War from my point of view. Uh, and so the combination of those two factors took me north. I've been, I need to say, Daryl, I've been extremely lucky uh, I use my college education in natural resource finance every single day, uh, and I'm absolutely delighted with the way my life has worked out. So although I describe my career progression as working very hard from one mistake to the next, uh, the truth is it's been a wonderful vocation and a wonderful avocation. I enjoy what I do so much that I can't imagine doing anything differently. Yeah, that's that's very important. Uh, doing doing what you love to do and and uh, and you know everything just kind of just like goes with that. You know, falls in place and and you know it's it's hard work. Obviously, you know you mentioned in hard work and just being able to do what you love to do is very important. And and that's kind of a piece of like you know our podcast where we talk about with uh, money levels. Like everything is not necessarily about you know where you are and wealth wise, but it's also like you know where's your happiness, where's your uh, what's what's going to sustain you and and what is important to you and so that's that's good to hear that perspective yeah so so what what kind of drew you to uh commodities uh i, I know like uh for me personally you know just kind of looking at everybody jumping in the tesla stock and then i'm like okay well what do you need to to make teslas you know and things like that and and people kind of forget about the commodities they they run towards the hype and run towards you know what's hot but they don't 
really think about what what goes into making those products or goes into making those batteries and things like that. So what, what kind of drew you to invest in commodities? You know, Daryl, I had an intrinsic issue, uh, interest uh, in my teens in geology, uh, in forestry, in the various academic disciplines around natural resources. But then uh, I came into early adulthood in the decade of the 70s, which was the wildest commodities bull market that we've seen for quite some time. The gold price went from $35 an ounce to $850 an ounce. Natural gas price went from 20 cents a thousand to $15 a thousand. The silver price went from a buck and a half to 50. So by accident, I found myself very much in the right place at the right time. Other young people, principally men in those days, that went into financial services had the opposite experience. They went into an equities market that experienced a 12-year-long bear market. So every day they went to work, they got kicked and bruised. And every day I went to work, I had the wind (laughs) in my back. Now, uh, you know, all good things must end. Resource businesses are cyclical. And in the decade of the 80s, we unwound the excesses of the decade of the 70s and all the things that had worked in my favor, uh, let's just be polite uh, and say turned into challenges. Uh, And I learned, which your young viewers must learn, that markets always work. So the cure for a bear market, or or rather put differently, the cause of a bull market is a bear market. Mm -hmm. And the cause of a bear market is a bull market. We're coming into a period, well, we're coming out of a period where natural resources generally have been shunned. They've been out of favor. They've been cheap. The consequence of that is that resources are cheap and offer high utility, which is the precondition for a bull market. There will become a time, Daryl, when you are viewed as a seer for having to come into the resource business. And at that point in time, you'll need to find another place to go (laughs) because the fact that we're suddenly in favor uh, probably means that we've outstayed our welcome in a sector that is cyclical, if nothing else. Yeah, definitely. I, I you know, I started, you recommended uh, the intelligent investor on one of your uh, recent um, wow. uh, podcast yeah. episodes. So I started, I started reading that book and, uh, and it was definitely talking about kind of like the cycles and, and, uh, and things of that nature and how, um, you know, the commodity cycle, you know, which I believe we're heading into that, or we're kind of at the beginning of that, um, you know, will eventually, you know, be overbought. Everybody's going to run into it, you know, run the prices up and things like that. And then we got to figure out what is the next, the next thing that's coming. You know, uh, I think Warren Buffett said, uh, be greedy when others are fearful, be fearful when others are greedy. And so, uh, so yeah. That's the best quote there is with regards to resources. And I'm delighted that you brought up the intelligent investor. You know, the most important investment you can make, particularly a young person, uh, is in your own education, developing your own paradigms and your own attitudes. Uh, It's important that having bought the book that you read the book, and it's important reading the book that you employ the book. Mm -hmm. But I can't overstate, particularly to your younger listeners, the importance of investing in yourself and your intellect first. Uh, it's, I'm just absolutely delighted that you read the book. Yeah, definitely. I was, well, it's about 600 some pages. I'm, I'm still at the, I'm still at the beginning of it, but I'm, I'm planning on getting through it. Uh, you know, and it's really challenging me because, well, when I grew up, you know, I didn't really have that education of finance or, uh, you know, budgeting or anything like that. So then, you know, I got into the Dave Ramsey thing, you know, about, 
uh, was it about five years ago. And, you know, that kind of opened my eyes to like money, but, you know, Dave Ramsey, like, you know, he would talk a lot about mutual funds and things like that. So then I started realizing like, well, this isn't the only way to build wealth. Like there's multiple ways to build wealth. And, you know, I started learning kind of just like how to pick, you know, uh, certain stocks and, and kind of, I'm still, still a novice at like, you know, valuations and things like that. It's, it's, it's a lot, it's a big concept to grasp. And so, especially coming from my background. And so I'm definitely enjoying the book so far and, and just kind of just trying to learn, you know, what I can about how to pick good companies, how, how to, you know, uh, read, you know, read about them, read about the CEO. What, what are they talking about? Things like that. Um, and, you know, I heard you say on one of your podcasts that um, for each stock that you have, you should at least be able to spend about an hour a month um, uh, with that stock and kind of just researching and, and learning and looking at financials and things like that. Now, that's absolutely correct. You know, too many people, their technique is got a hunch, bet a bunch. Uh, and you can get lucky doing that occasionally, but it's not a way that you make money. You make money in a competitive market by outcompeting your peers uh, in any endeavor of life. You know, if you want to be a good basketball player, you know, uh, Kobe Bryant said he became a hugely successful basketball player. Yes, first of all, because he was tall, but there was lots of tall guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He just worked harder than anybody else. You know, he showed up earlier, mm -hmm. he went home later. And when he was there, he worked harder. And it's the same thing in investing. You're competing against millions of folks. But luckily for you, most of them don't show up. Yeah. Uh, you can beat these guys if you show up and they don't show up. That's the way it works. And you're starting the right way. The intelligent investor, particularly, there's two real important chapters. One is margin of safety mm -hmm. uh, in the intelligent investor. And the other is Mr. Market, which talks about the uh, cyclicality that you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. Being brave when others were, were afraid. Uh, it's just a wonderful way to start. Mm hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, I um, you know, and I think one of the biggest things, you know, for me is like the emotional, you know, aspect, you know, and, and the psychology of it, you know, where, you know, I have a, I have a cousin, one of my cousins, he's a very uh, exotic and kind of like his investing and he goes after the trends, he plays options. And, and, you know, for me, I'm trying to be conservative and stay on that path. Like, okay, what I'm doing is, you know, I'm, I'm investing in good companies. I'm, I'm, you know, doing my due diligence and things like that. And then sometimes like, you know, he posts his earnings and, and, or, or his, uh, what, what he's made. And, and then it kind of tricks me into like, okay, I'm going to get into options. And, and it's kind of, it's, man, it's, it's really tough when, when you're dealing with that emotional part of, uh, seeing people, you know, take advantage of, of this, um, this uh, bull market or this bubble that we're in. And then, and then also being like, okay, let me go ahead and invest what's not hot right now, what people are hated. And, you know, nobody's really making money off of this right now, unless you're putting a lot of capital into dividends and, you know, things like that. And so uh, it's, it's really a hard balance at times. I would say be, ha be happy for your cousin's success. Uh, there's a whole bunch of ways up the mountain. Uh, and if trading, uh, if trading a narrative works for him, mm -hmm. that's great. Um, but you need to determine what's going to work for you. Yeah. Um, uh, that's really the important. fact that somebody else has been successful at something is interesting, but not particularly relevant. You need yeah. to take into account what you enjoy doing, uh, what your strengths are, what your disciplines are, and, and you need to you, you need to uh, sort of mark your own path up the mountain. Mm -hmm. I've known, you know, I grew up in Silicon Valley uh, and some of the people that I grew up with have been really, really, really successful in technology. 
Now, for me, those are businesses I couldn't spell, let alone pronounce. And so despite the fact that I was brought up there and despite the fact that some of uh, the people that I grew up with have become very successful, there was probably no opportunity for me in technology. I wasn't interested in it. Uh, you know, I wasn't suited to it. Uh, mm-hmm. And so despite the advantages that I had growing up in Silicon Valley, resources were right for me. I'm delighted that my peers did well in it. I'm delighted that the place that I brought up was brought up in has created so many advantages for the world, but it's irrelevant in terms of how I make my money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's good. I'm, I'm definitely going to take that to heart. Keep come back and keep watching this interview and like, OK, let me let me listen to what Rick said. Rick, that's that's really good. Uh, so. But there's a lot of there's a lot of different investors that I've been kind of listening to and and kind of looking at uh, what they're saying. And I, I keep hearing this concept of the biggest wealth transfer of our lifetime. And, um, you know, there's there's parts of that where I'm like, OK, yeah, like this is this is a shift in, you know, uh, cycles. Uh, I mean, you, you have long term debt cycles, you have all those different things. And then um, I've been kind of doing some research on like just how um, a lot of the bubble that's been inflated. Um, Uh, the baby boomer generation or being able to benefit a lot off that with, you know, retirement plans and owning house houses. And then the younger generations are like getting out of school with a lot of debt, no, no house, no retirement plan. And kind of just like, and so I'm just kind of trying to process how, how this unfolds or whatnot, but what's your perspective on that? Well, that's a, that's the $64 trillion question. Um, let's unpack it a few ways. Uh, my generation didn't realize it, but we had it pretty easy. Uh, I'm not trying to say there weren't the odd challenge like the Vietnam War, as an example. But we came into a circumstance, a post-war circumstance, where uh, technology changed and the world got smaller. Uh, there was better contacts between people. Uh, the world opened up, trade opened up. So everything was really pretty easy. We also came into a circumstance where uh there had been a period in American history where we had very limited government, which meant that there was more money left over for the people. Yeah. That yeah. less was taken from on high. Mm-hmm. Uh, your generation has the advantage. Uh, they have really two advantages. The technological advantage that my generation has or had is dwarfed mm-hmm. by the technological advantage that your generation has. Uh, the, circumstance that you face where there is better communication between people, despite the protectionist tendencies that happen, is wonderful. Uh, The new tolerance in the world, uh, the sense that uh, when I was a kid, let's just be honest in this podcast, where all decisions should be made by old, ball, fat, white guys like me, was stupid. Mm -hmm. The idea that you ignore the uh, work and effort of half of humankind, which happens to be female, uh, and more than half that happens to be uh, Mm -hmm. non-Caucasian. This is a wonderful new era, not because we're writing old wrongs, but simply because there's more people focused on the problems than the opportunities. So this is great, but there's all kinds of bad stuff too. Um, Yeah, yeah. People increasingly believe that other people are responsible for their success or lack of success. People believe uh, in government. Uh, People Mm -hmm. believe in obviating their sense of personal responsibility, which is idiocy, truly idiocy. I can make you some recommendations, but you got to read the book. Uh, 
and you got to put it to work. In addition, uh, we are leaving you, I mean, my generation is leaving your generation, a stupendous amount of debt, a stupendous amount of debt. Let me quantify some of it for you. At the federal level, before state and local debt and individual debt, on balance sheet liabilities, the U.S. government are about 26 or 27 trillion dollars. For your listeners, uh, that's 12 zeros after the 27. Uh, and the off balance sheet liabilities, which is to say entitlements, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, Environmental Trust Fund, all those promises that we've made to each other, the net present value of those liabilities exceed $120 trillion. These sums aren't being conjured up by some old, bald, libertarian crank named Rick Rule. They come from the Congressional Budget Office. Uh, and so your, my generation, the baby boomers and the guys right after us, have voted ourselves all these cool benefits, you know, indexed pensions and Medicaid and Medicare and all that kind of stuff. So we get all the benefit, and we're leaving you all the bill. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. from my point of view, this is sort of amusing. Uh, from your point of view, this is highly problematic. Mm-hmm. And, and you need to learn, uh, first of all, that you need to defend yourself mm-hmm. against we the people, particularly against old people. That isn't to say that we can't do nice things to you, but we're doing a bad thing to you too. Uh, and so y- you need to learn to organize your life in a way that anticipates the fact that we're uh, stiffing you for uh, at least $150 trillion liability. People your age say, well, I just need to get through to this age, and then Social Security kicks in. What Social Security? You know, (laughs) there was a little ditty I learned growing up from my grandfather, and it went like this. When your outgo exceeds your income, your upkeep becomes your downfall. Uh, And as individuals, we need to repeat that in order to save. But as a society, we need to repeat it too. And what your generation needs to understand is that my generation failed in that regard. We have this $140 trillion in debt, and we service this debt with the national income, which is taxes and fees, less expenses. The problem is that the national income has a minus in front of it. In other words, rather than service the debt, we increase it by $3 trillion a year and we aren't going to pay for it. You are. Uh, so get ready. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's, that's, that's kind of some things I've been looking at, you know, uh, I mean, especially with what's in conversation now about, you know, erasing uh, $50,000 in, in uh, student loan debt. And that's like one of the few assets that, <laughs> that the country has. And then, you know, and and all the debt that's just being borrowed by the by the Fed purchasing treasuries and and uh, all the interest owed, it's it's wild. And uh, you know, right now, you know, I think uh, you know, for me, like I've been kind of in this position where it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, erase fifty k of my student loan debt, you know, and I'm just gonna go buy gold, silver, and just kind of prepare myself while the world burns. But you know, it's it's also one of those things where it's like, man, you know, my kids, you know, I think about my kids and my kids' future, and it's like wow what, what's going to happen in that you know and uh and, and you know a lot of a lot of things with like you know uh kind of like the socialism ideas and things like that you know also coming 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 to pass and then you know so yes it's, it's a lot to that man it's a lot to that you know your your kid's future uh, will be really in your hands uh, you can't 
offs you can't uh, outsource that to society. You have to teach them. You know, yeah. uh, I, I'm not saying you shouldn't let them watch TV because you need to let them see the rest of the world thinks the way the rest of the world thinks. But you have to set their values. You mm -hmm. have to make it so that they watch those TV shows and they understand what they're watching and what part's good and what part's not good. And you have to save so that you have something to transfer to them and you have to teach them to save too because you aren't going to be around for their whole lives. I hate to be an old man preaching. No, no, uh, that's, that's important. But the way you let into it, uh, really begs the question Too many people in the world today, probably 97% of, of Americans believe that the government is there to help them. Uh, and that is a wrong assumption from mm -hmm. the beginning. H.L. Uh, Mencken famously said, the voters almost always get what they want, most often good and hard, uh, which I, <laughs> I think is important uh, he also described elections as advanced auctions of stolen property. And if you understand it in that context, you understand that rather than being a, an organization that you can count on, this needs to be an organization that you live with because they have the guns. But it's an organization that you need to understand and you need to prepare yourself for. You need to prepare for your future yourself. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's, that's very important. Like, you know, especially, you know, people that depend on, you know, um, that are relying on the government, you know, to come and save them. And, and, you know, I've been definitely preaching like, okay, uh, let's become our own central banks. Let's, let's, you know, let's get, you know, precious metals. I mean, you could spend uh, 30 bucks, you know, with the premiums by an ounce of silver, you know, or whatever, you know, and, and that's kind of just those things where I've, I've been really thinking it's like, okay, what can I pass down to my kids? What can I pass down and what, what can I teach them, you know, about money and, and about, um, you know, wealth and things like that. Um, Cause I, you know, for me, like growing up in, you know, urban neighborhoods and things like that, it's, it's been like a lot of the conversation is like, okay, how do we get rich? But how do you sustain wealth? How do you mm -hmm. sustain that? You know, that's, that's been a big, a big piece of, of what I've been focusing on and learning about. Well, I think you're on the right road uh, doing this self-exploration, uh, talking to other people about it and reading books like The Intelligent Investor. I would encourage you too, and your listeners to read another book called Economics in One Lesson by Hazlitt. The economics that we get taught in school uh, is from my point of view, fallacious. Uh, it's fiction, it's wrong. Uh, and understanding how the economy works and how the community is really just a package of individuals. Uh, I, I think it's a really necessary way to pre prepare yourself and for you to prepare your children for the world as it, as it is, as opposed to the way that most of the people in the world think it is. Mm -hmm. There's an interesting Italian social scientist, now dead, uh, uh, Pareto, uh, and Pareto's responsible for the social science dictum, Pareto's law. It's been popularized as the 80-20 rule, where 20% of the population generates 80% of the utility or 20% of the workers do 80% of the work. What Pareto proved statistically was that that was by and large true across many disciplines, but it isn't necessarily the hard workers so much as the people who have prepared themselves and exhibited discipline. Uh, and there are no 
barriers to entry personally uh, from being part of the people who get it. Yes, certainly there are societal barriers. There are prejudices, racial prejudices, ethnic prejudices, gender preferences. There's nothing you can do about that. The only thing that you can do is prepare yourself to take control of your future and do the best you can with what you've been given. Uh, and uh, I've been fortunate enough in my 68 years on earth to watch a lot of people succeed. And sadly, I watched a lot more fail. And it's really up to you as to what camp <laughs> you, yeah. you decide to hang out in, you know? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, and, you know, I've kind of been looking, I'm actually uh, working on a video now. Uh, it's going to be a little controversial, but um, I'm kind of going a little bit deeper in the history with just, um, especially, you know, with African-Americans, just like how, um, how uh, the dollar used to be stronger and our dollar went a longer way you know, and, and how wealth was built and, and how, you know, we, we were owning homes, you know, and things like that. I mean, cause a lot of people would mention like redlining and things like that, but that mostly like kept us from buying, you know, homes in, in white neighborhoods, but we were able to buy homes in, in uh, our own neighborhoods. And, and I, you know, looking at these kind of statistics, it seemed, you know, from what I was seeing, like it's decreasing, you know, a lot, you know, and our population is increasing, but the, our home ownership is decreasing. And you know, so the, I've been looking at that. Uh, the best political philosopher in American history that I know, that I know, um, um, you know, I'm no political scientist or anything, but the best political philosopher I know in American history was Malcolm X, mm -hmm. uh, a very prominent African-American. Now, he, he, he said a lot of stuff, but a couple of the things that he said make absolute sense. One was self-determination, the whole Shabazz movement which was really an early black capitalism mm -hmm. movement was all about personal self-reliance and community self-reliance. What yeah. he said specifically to the black, to the black American community was it's too bad. Uh, what white people do and have done uh, that's beyond our control. So we have to do to ourselves for ourselves, yeah. which was absolutely right. What yeah. he said that was much more valuable, I think was don't let, irrespective of who you are or what you are, other people's opinion of you generate your opinion of yourself. If mm -hmm. somebody has an interest in maligning you, their interest in maligning you isn't merely uh, of no interest to you. It's harmful to you. Do not let your perception, do not let your sense of value, do not let your ambition be determined by other people's view of you. That was extremely important. Uh, yes, yes. And what you say is exactly true. Redlining, uh, I mean, the pernicious part of redlining, the discriminatory part of redlining meant that you didn't have a, a, prox a, a proper mixing of Americans, which would have benefited everybody. The other negative impact of redlining is even in neighborhoods uh, where Black people were free to buy without reference to discrimination, uh, there wasn't financing available. Uh, and that wasn't merely wrong, it was a sin. The answer to that, of course, beginning in the 60s were Black-owned banks. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and my suspicion is that some elements of the Black community became ironically, like the Black Muslims, stronger yeah. 
as a consequence of the circumstance. I'm not suggesting that we return to a circumstance that makes a community stronger by yeah. struggle, uh, but it is very interesting since you brought up the African-American community in the context that we're having, that the most important, uh, as far as I'm concerned, the most important champion of every idea that I'm espousing in this broadcast that I know of was Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, and that's important, like, you know, because I've been kind of learning more about just self-responsibility, you know, listening to, you know, Thomas Sowell, listening to Malcolm X, listening to people that, um, you know, uh, a lot a lot of the mainstream media aren't aren't really acknowledging. And that self-responsibility is very important because, you know, we a lot of times people are like, OK, well, you know, let's address wealth inequality, things like that. For me, it's like, OK, the government has no solution for me, myself, you know, and and I have to I have to act in a way that's going to um, set my family up and, and mm-hmm. it's going to put me in a good position. And, and that's taking that self-responsibility and taking, um, you know, and just like knowing that um, somebody else's ideals and someone else's us, us expanding the balance sheets, us doing all this, you know, it's not going to save us. And so. You know, for me, that's that's just one thing that I've been really focusing on. It's like, how can I take responsibility myself? And yeah, there's things that happen in our in our society that, you know, were atrocity, you know, atrocious. And and um, but at the same time, it's like, OK, are, am I going to sit back and let that paralyze me or am I going to focus on, you know, what I what I can do, you know, for for my kids future, for my future and, you know, and all of that. And in that case, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. It, it's, it, it's ugly to say, but you are one of three or 4% of Americans who recognize that. Uh, mm-hmm. The fact that you recognize it and act on it means that you're going to outperform the average. That's just the way it's going to work. Even an old fat bald guy like me can win the hundred yard dash if nobody shows up to race against me. <laughs> With you That's having true. discovered self-reliance, you being one out of 20 who has discovered self-reliance, it makes absolute sense statistically that you're going to win the race against the other people that don't show up to run against you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's that's good. So one of the concepts that's been coming up, the topics that's been coming up is inflation. Um, and I've studied a little bit about it um, uh, regarding like the 40s and, and also the 70s um, and how commodities, uh, you know, thrive in, in inflation, in inflationary environments. Um, you know, what becomes money is, is the, is the commodities, you know, the corn, the, the gold, the silver, the, you know, that, that's what becomes money when, when fiat currencies are, are losing so much value and things are in inflation is happening. So what, what are your thoughts on how people can, can beat inflation, prepare for inflation? Because like, really, to be honest, Rick, like one of my concerns is like, okay, I'm educating my family, you know, African-American okay, this is how, this is some things that, that I kind of see coming down the line. What can we do to prepare for this? And, and so, and that's kind of one of those tangible things like that I've been trying to communicate, um, especially to the black community and to other, other, you know, people of color. Um, because you're, you're, you're already on first base. Mm-hmm. You've already begun to run the race, which is important. You showed up uh, you have understood what the problems were and you understood that no one's going to solve them for you, that you got to solve them for you. And by the way, that's not a black phenomenon. That's a human mm-hmm. phenomenon. Uh, yeah. Y- you've had a few more challenges than 
somebody who looks like me, but the fact that you showed up means you're partway there. Education is really important. But when you think about the perniciousness of inflation, when you think about what inflation does to you as a saver, you understand that you need to defend yourself against it. My own belief is that the most effective inflation hedge, which is available to us as savers, is gold. You begin to hedge against inflation with gold. Uh, it's a savings product. Now, that presupposes, uh, Daryl, uh, that you save to begin with. What happens to many people is that they forget to save, that they spend more than they have, that they value the Starbucks, that they value a nice car, uh, that they value a pair of sneakers or something like that more than they do for your future. I was mercifully, and I don't know how, well, I do know how. I read a book by a guy named Nickerson when I was 16 who taught that you save 10% of your pre-tax income no matter what. He wrote a book called Pay Yourself First. Uh, and the, in order to save savings, you have to save. <laughs> in order to be a capitalist, you have to have some capital. But once you've overcome that, once you've made yourself save 10% of every paycheck, pre-tax, no matter what, no ifs, ands, or buts, no, no excuses, mother's birthday, doesn't matter. You said pay yourself first. Then you think about what you're going to save in. Gold traditionally has done well when people are concerned about the purchasing power of their savings in fiat currency denominated savings products. Uh, so gold is an important thing. The rest of the commodities market does well in the context of inflation too, but it's more important to note that the rest of the commodities complex is cyclical. In other words, you think of commodity investments as investments that you buy when they're out of favor and sell when they're in favor. Gold and to a lesser extent, silver are the way that you protect yourself as a saver against inflation. People, particularly people of your age, uh, Daryl, need to buy a little bit of gold. You don't need to buy too much because when gold moves, it really, really, really moves. <clears throat> but buy gold consistently and pray that it doesn't go up a lot. When I say pray that it doesn't go up a lot, circumstances that make gold extremely valuable are almost always unpleasant in the rest of your portfolio. One of the reasons that people don't like to buy gold is they think about the circumstance that will cause it to be more valuable. And the thoughts concerning that circumstance are so unpleasant that they try to turn their brain off and maybe have a beer. Mm -hmm. um, but in direct answer to your question, think gold and silver first. Think about the rest of the commodities the way that you would think about the uh, Ben Graham book, being brave when others are afraid. Most people are afraid of other commodities right now, or else they're bored by them by, because they haven't moved. People right now are selling uh, oil stocks because President Biden doesn't like oil and Greta Thunberg doesn't like oil and all those things. But the world runs on oil. Uh, the idea that you can buy an asset class that's essential to the well-being of mankind uh, because it's unpopular, uh, you need to organize your life and organize your brain so that the fact that a necessary asset class is unpopular is an asset, an attribute to you, not a deficit to you. And employing that mindset by reading books like The Intelligent Investor 
makes the rest of the process over time easy. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 really important. Uh, I, I've been viewing gold more than, uh, you know, kind of like a cycle. Uh, for me, uh, gold is 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 wealth. Gold is is a store of value. Um, you know, and I've, I've done a few uh, videos breaking down the whiteboard, how much, you know, a dollar used to be worth uh, uh, one one-twentieth of an ounce of gold and how one dollar is today versus an ounce of gold today. Um, you know, I'd much rather been in gold and pass that down generation to generation than dollars. And um, and so that, that's been very, very important for me. And, and just kind of seeing that the value is more than just what it's worth in fiat currency. And um, I mean, gold's gotten people out of, you know, out of countries that have to flee wars and and all types of stuff like that. And I, I just see the value as more than what it's worth in, in dollars. Well, that's right. You know, I if you look at me personally, uh, as an example, I'm the largest shareholder of Sprott Inc., if the gold price goes up, uh, Sprott, which is uh, you know natural resources and precious metals investment firm, will do well. So a real financial planner would say, Rick, why do you own gold? Your whole life is leveraged to gold. I'll tell you why I own gold, uh, because it helps me sleep nights and stay calm. <laughs> gold enhances my sense of well-being. Uh, and I, I was struck by something you said uh, in the first part of your comment, which is what, which is that gold is wealth. And I believe that to be true. Uh, I believe that the insurance part of gold, the fact that it, it, it tends to take care of yourself when other things are falling apart. And when I think of it also in the context of it helping me sleep nights and still uh, enhance my sense of well-being, you know, the essence of wealth is having a sense of well-being, knowing that you can provide for yourself, knowing that you can provide for your family. Uh, wealth isn't just about going into a restaurant, not having to look at the right side of the menu where the prices are. Uh, wealth is a very holistic comment. And I, I think people, your listeners would do well to remember your quote, that gold is wealth, uh, and that they would do well to have a very holistic sense of what wealth was. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's kind of one of the things I, I try to break it down, like in the sense of you don't have to, you know, I understand like an ounce of gold can seem expensive or whatnot, but you don't have to even have an ounce. You can get one tenth. You know, it's just so many like fractional pieces of gold that you can buy and uh, to be able to have something, you know, just just get something, spend twenty dollars on a one tenth or whatever, you know, like get something and, and in your portfolio, get something in your house, hide it, whatever, you know, like just, just have something there. And save continually. Yeah. Save and save and save and save and save. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So what, what, what are some of the, the best commodities that, that you, that you think that are, are going to be booming in the next, you know, three to five years? I, I know we've, talked a little bit about uranium. I, I hear you talk about uranium a lot. I've been getting into uranium uh, and just, I, I love the argument for it. And, and I also heard the, uh, the, the bear market case for it as well. I mean, there's always risk in any investment. Um, what, what are some of the commodities that you're looking at um, right now that you think are going to be in the future? I think uranium is a good example. Um, despite the fact that uranium is unpopular, it provides 25% or 20%, pardon me, of the baseload power consumed in the United States, 15% of overall power consumed in the United States. Uh, and uranium at the spot price, $30, uh, 
means that the price the industry receives for uranium is less than the cost to produce it. Either the price goes up or the lights go out. Those are the two choices. This is very, very simple arithmetic. Now, the thesis is much less attractive than it was three months ago because all the stocks have gone up. Uh, it's weird that, you know, if we go to the store and buy tuna fish and the price of tuna fish goes up, we get angry with the store owner. But if the price of a stock goes up, uh, we're elated by it. So the fact that the stocks have been up by 30 or 40% mean that they're 30 or 40% less attractive. I still believe that the uranium price goes higher, but I would like to see the stocks decline before I buy more. Three or four months ago too, when the oil price was at $40 a barrel, that was stupidly cheap. I mean, truly, spectacularly, stupidly cheap. It had to go up. It did go up, but I think it'll fluctuate. And I think any time that you see uh, the oil quote below $45 a barrel, you can buy the oil stocks with impunity if you have a, a two or three year horizon. I think the agricultural materials, uh, by that I mean the components of fertilizer, particularly phosphate uh, and potash are cheap uh, and will become more, ex more expensive. Probably the most undervalued commodity in the United States, not where you and I live in the state of Washington, but rather the country as a whole, is water. Uh, water pricing and water markets are controlled by the government, which means that rather than have water flow naturally downhill to money, to markets, they flow uphill unnaturally to votes. But that'll sort itself out over time too, to the benefit of some, uh, unfortunately, to the misery of many. Uh, but the truth is there's a whole range of commodities. What's important for your listeners to understand is that it is the out of favor commodities that present the opportunity, not the in favor commodities. When commodities are uh, highly priced uh, and thus far, thus appear desirable, that high price encourages production while at the same time it discourages consumption, it leads to conservation. By contrast, when commodities are underpriced, it encourages consumption because they're cheap and discourages consumption, which is to say that low prices are the cure for low prices in commodities and high prices are the cure for high prices in commodities. Zinc, I think, is cheap. Uh, it's economically sensitive. So if, we're at, if we do go into a recession, people will look back at this uh, interview and say Rick Rule was a moron. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> that could happen. Uh, zinc is cheap. Uh, nickel is pretty cheap. Uh, gold, priced in dollar terms, is cheap. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's important to know that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That's that's good to know. Um, so, Rick, I, I appreciate you coming on and everything, and uh, being able to uh, talk to my listeners and and uh, to kind of point us in in some good wise directions uh right now that there's a lot of things competing for our attention and and uh can easily get us off course and easily get us in a situation to where um you know where we wouldn't be happy you know and, and so I, I appreciate the wisdom that you brought today on the show well i enjoy the uh opportunity to address your audience uh, and at the risk of being misinterpreted uh, I particularly enjoy the opportunity to talk to a younger black audience, uh, sometimes yeah. folks who are old and fat and white and bald. <laughs> uh, 
don't yeah. don't get that opportunity. So I I appreciate the fact that I've been invited to address that audience. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it a lot. All right. You take care. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.